So I see I've just had uh, an email in. Do you get these kind of emails? We wish to inform you you've won 550,000 US dollars in our 2016 <laughs> Yahoo email draw. This is purportedly from Yahoo. And uh, just click this link. Now, how many of you know that that is a request that you should ignore? Yep, yes, good. I do hope you know that. Most, there's a lot of stuff on the internet is simply untrue, and it's just, uh, you know, loads of stuff. But there are all kinds of requests that happen in life, aren't there? And, um, and I believe that actually the, it's the role of leaders to make requests, to make appeals, to make invitations. And that's what we see in the life of Nehemiah, where if you're visiting today, we're looking at the life of a a leader in the Old Testament, a guy called Nehemiah. He was alive in 445 BC, so that's... uh, And we're actually reading the account of what happened exactly 2,461 years ago in March. And... um, we are uh, looking at, he, he was uh, a Jewish person, but had been exiled, his parents probably, or his ancestors had been exiled to uh, what had become the Persian Empire. And we'd be looking at some requests and appeals that he makes. But we, uh, this happens in life. Yesterday I watched some of the uh, road race at the Olympics, the men's road race. I didn't watch all of it, it went on for six hours, ten minutes. And, but I dipped in and out of watching that, and... Uh, obviously, it's a lot of the same riders as do things like the Tour de France and these other big uh, cycling races. And they often work in teams. And so in those teams, the team bosses, I guess, have to ask some of the team members to play a part in the race, which means they will not win the race. You aware of that? Is that am I, I'm right, aren't I? So I think yesterday, Ian Stannard, one of the British Team GB cyclists, was leading the peloton for a large part of the race. I mean, ra- just racing for 237 kilometres, that's a kind of a nightmare scenario for me. It's kind of like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that, ever. And <clears throat> so... So, so he spends a lot of the time at the head of the peloton, which is a strategic thing to do for the benefit of the rest of the team, even for other people who are not in his team, even knowing he will never win the race. And so they, the commentator described him as someone who was known to be loyal to a fault. In other words, they, the team knew they can say to this guy, okay, this is what you want to do. You're not going to win the race, but this is what we want you to do to play a part in helping others win the race. That's a big request to make of somebody, isn't it? That's a big call to make of somebody. And, but that's the sort of call that at times are required to be made of people. You know, all leaders are askers. They make such requests. All politicians, actually, are people who make requests. We make requests of ourselves and we make requests of others. And you might say, I'm not a politician, I'm not a leader. But if you're a Christian, you're part of the kingdom of God, well then actually God has a calling on your life to lead for his kingdom in the world. And so uh, uh, leaders ask people for trust. They ask people for their time. Leaders ask people for their devotion. They ask them to turn up on a Sunday afternoon and to unload a van. Right? Leaders ask people to give their money. They ask them to give their time. They ask them to give their talents. And yes, even their lives. They ask them to give up winning and to take a hit for the team. They ask people to make sacrifices. And they ask themselves to make those same sacrifices. 
And this is what we see happening even in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. And so it's, uh, this was my opening screen. And he, so Nehemiah is in this place called Susa. There's a map. He's a capital, Susa, quite a long way from Jerusalem over in what is modern per, uh, Iran. It uh, was called Persia till the middle of the last century and, uh, because it was where the Persian Empire was. And uh, he had a very important role, just so you know. Although he was from an ethnic minority, he'd been promoted to be cupbearer to the king, as we read at the end of chapter 1, which meant he tasted all the wine he provided. He sourced the, the wine and all the drink that the emperor would drink because he was making sure the emperor didn't get poisoned. And uh, he'd been probably, he may never have gone to Jerusalem, uh, but he was a Jewish person. One of his brothers, Hanani, had been to Jerusalem. And in chapter 1, we read how he asked about Jerusalem. And he was told about how the walls were all broken down because the city had been ransacked in 587 BC by the Babylonians and it had been destroyed. And, and, and the, his brother tells him about how the walls are broken down, which has been true for 142 years. But suddenly the Holy Spirit hits at Nehemiah, and he suddenly realizes, you know, I've known about this kind of all my life, but now it matters to me. It matters to me these walls are broken down, and it matters to me so much I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to find a way. I believe God wants me to do something about this. And I, actually, if you're a Christian, God will have laid something on your heart. There'll be something you have a passion about, something that the Holy Spirit kind of collided with you about and you think yeah that that's something I'm supposed to do it may be quite simple it may be that you will always be an encourager wherever you go it might be something bigger it may be a variety of things but as we look at Nehemiah we're seeing how that kind of thing might play out in our lives so let's read from Nehemiah chapter 2 now so we'll we'll start from um, whoops Bible's back here it may come up on the screen behind me It'll just come up verse by verse, so Elspeth will, my dear wife, who's projecting this morning, will try and keep up with me. So in the month of Nisan, so I think that's about March, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I, because he was cupbearer, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, well, what is it you want? That was a good reply. He was thinking, okay, so I'm not going to get my head chopped off. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me, let the king send me, Nehemiah, to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? Because he's kind of asked for a career break, hasn't he? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. In the end, he spent many years actually doing this. So he got, he got repeated career breaks and leaves of, leaves of absence. Verse 7, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, which was the, the region of the empire over that way, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. 
And he then says, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So there was extra things he didn't even ask for. Verse 10, when Sanballat, the Horonite, he was also a worshipper of Yahweh, by the way, and then Tobiah the Ammonite, so he was a descendant of Lot. Do you remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? An official heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Um, dun, 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 dun. These are baddies, okay? <clears throat> Verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were, there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate, or the, the demolished valley gate, obviously, toward the jack, jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, listen to this, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Father, I want to thank you for the word of God. We thank you for these records of how it has been as people have followed you down the ages. We pray that we may learn from the word of God because you caused it to be written for our instruction and our inspiration, that our faith may be inspired in our day, that we may serve you uh, in equal ways as those in the past have done. And through Christ, we may even excel them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a historic event, Artaxerxes. You can see his stuff uh, up at the British Museum, some of the uh, artifacts of this empire. People like Geshem and uh, Tobiah are referenced in other historical documents apart from the Bible. These are real people. And so uh, it's, I find it always very encouraging to realize those things. Now, as we read that story, I don't know whether you noticed all the requests that, that, that got made through that. So I believe that when to be a leader, to make a difference, to do kingdom work, we have to first make requests of ourselves. We then have to make requests of other people. And those might be people who are, have more power than us. Nehemiah made requests of the emperor, and they might be people who have less power than us uh, because he'd arrived with royal kind of authority to do something, and so those people in Jerusalem, in a sense, had less power.
than Nehemiah. And I just I want to explore this because I want to encourage us because it takes courage to make requests. It's, and fear will stop us making requests. And, you know, just reading some of the emails Megan sent out, the, she's had this, been inspired by God to work. One of the things that she's inspired to work in is for homeless people. And, you know, you've made requests. You've given people opportunity to work with you helping homeless people. And, and so people said, yeah, I'll donate plants so you can sell them to, to raise money to give to homeless people. And time and again you have accounts where, in a sense, you've given people the privilege of engaging in helping homeless people and you open the door for that by, in a sense, the request that you made to them. Making requests takes courage. You know, a lot of guys, it's proverbially said, isn't it, that men can never ask for directions. You know, because we don't want to actually stop and ask, right? Because men are too proud. Because men consider themselves to be able to find where they're going just innately because of their manliness, right? So we need never ask for directions. Um, but sometimes you just need help. And so every request is, first of all, a request of ourselves, myself. Will I stand up and act or will I just watch the world go by? Right. Will I stand up and act or will I watch the world go by? So one of the things we learn from Nehemiah is he dis- that, that day when the Holy Spirit kind of collided with him and something he'd known about as a fact suddenly mattered to him, it therefore it became something he wanted to do something about. And so uh, uh, now you noticed that he was very afraid when he made this request of the emperor. And I just want to remind you why that was. Because the emperor was all-powerful. This is not a liberal democracy that he was part of. The king announced, the king announced whatever he wanted, and it was done. So uh, it was a very uh, dangerous place. Artaxerxes' father was called Xerxes. And uh, he had been murdered by his bodyguard. So Artaxerxes came to the throne because his father was murdered and his elder brother was murdered. His elder brother was called Darius. So, um, and he was murdered by the, a guy called Artabanus. This is all historical record outside the Bible who was one of his bodyguard. So if you'd like, Artaxerxes would perhaps have had a particular eye on Nehemiah because he knew what had happened to his dad. Do, do you understand? So you'd, it, to stay alive as an emperor, you needed to be very alert to the mood of people around you, the look on their face. Could you, was your trust well placed in these people? So turning up one day to work looking miserable was a dangerous thing because that could be a sign wow, that Nehemiah's looking different today. I'm going to get rid of him. So he was taking a big risk. Secondly, uh, he was going to make an appeal to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So from the map, you saw Jerusalem was way over near Egypt. From the point of view of the Persians, it's virtually Egypt. Well, Egypt was also part of the Persian Empire, and there'd been a big rebellion in Egypt for six years, not long before. So you can imagine, he's coming along, there'd been this big rebellion that Persia had had to suppress, and now Nehemiah's saying, why don't we rebuild this this walls of this city over in this rebellious area of your empire? Is that going to go down well? It could easily go down badly as a request, don't you think? And, And lastly, there was this, what Nehemiah knew is you simply couldn't, he could not go and make a request of the emperor. That's why he put the sad face on. Because you'll remember Xerxes, his, the father, Esther, Queen Esther. Do you remember the story of Esther? It's actually the next book in the Bible, but it's actually ge- 
you know, in terms of time, it should be long before, right? The Bible's not in chronological order, right? And um, so we read in Esther 4.11, which is on the PowerPoint, Elspeth, you might be able to find that uh, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. So, so basically, there w- it was automatic death to make an appeal to the king unless he immediately extended his scepter. You, yeah? So, so I, I can think of three reasons why Nehemiah would be scared to bring his uh, request to, some, to this person of power. And yet he does it nevertheless. So before he did that, he must have asked a very big question of himself. Am I willing to die for that which God's called me to? Am I willing to die? Because, because just to start on this road, I'm immediately risking death. And we sometimes, you, one of the reasons why requests are so helpful is because it invites us to, dis, to settle something. Am I, am I with this or not? Because very often in life, we drift through life only being half committed to something. We kind of engage in it, but we're not really devoted to it. And it, you can have that approach in your marriage. You might have that approach in your workplace. You might have that approach in your engagement with following Christ. And, you know, God wants to say to you, no, don't just be kind of a fellow traveler. Let it be the resolve of your heart. I'm in this. Even if it costs me my life, I'm in this. Ask yourself that question. Am I in for following Christ, even if it cost me, will cost me my life? And, uh, and we ask ourselves those questions. So, so we see him asking, for example, from his boss, if you like, Artaxerxes is like his boss. He asks his boss for a career break, as we've mentioned already, and it turns out to be a very long one, several years in the end. Uh, he asks his boss for authorization to have the imperial army offer protection to him and others with him as they go on their journey off to Jerusalem. Um, he asks for uh, resources. He asks that the royal uh, forest, the, the, the person in charge of the royal forest, would provide timber. So he says, I also want you to provide all the resources for this, this pet project of mine. I mean, you kind of think, you know, how much can you really go for here? You know, but I guess you've decided, I'm willing to die for this. So if, if once he said yes a little bit, why don't I just keep pushing this door? And we need to be daring like that. Do you know? I remember hearing... Two or three at the Catalyst Festival, we're part of this group of churches called Catalyst, which is part of New Frontiers internationally. And Martin Dunsford was preaching two or three years back. And I think he told this story where he was doing some project, they needed a lot of money. And he felt in prayer that he should go and ask this elderly couple for a lot of money. It was a large sum of money. I think it was maybe £50,000 or something like that. And uh, he kind of phoned up and arranged to visit them. And when he visited them, he he, 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 he just asked if they, he could, for this um, project, uh, I can't remember what the project was, he asked them if he could borrow £50,000 off them, and they said yes. And then he drove off, and the Holy Spirit was just hammering him. He said, I asked you to ask them to give you that money, and you just asked to have it lent. And he felt so convicted, he went back and said, look, actually, I, I, I'm sorry, but God actually asked me to ask you to give me this money, and they said, yes, we thought we should be giving it to you. And they gave it. Right? 
But that's, he, didn't, he wasn't going to die for making that question. But I want to tell you, he had to overcome embarrassment. He, he had to die of embarrassment. And we, we speak like that, don't we? And there are times when we, uh, we, 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 we hold back when God is wanting us to give people the opportunity, the privilege of participating in kingdom work. And this is what we do for one another. And then he asks the Jewish people to volunteer. He points out the mess the city is in, doesn't he, and proposes they sign up to rebuild it alongside him. So these requests are all forms of kingdom leadership, God's kingdom uh, being brought in the earth, of bringing heaven to earth. We participate in that, not just on our own, but we actually are invited by God to engage others in this role, in this, in this, in this place of reconnecting heaven to earth. And it takes courage because how can we ask people to give tens of thousands of pounds? How can we ask people to give hours of each week voluntarily to doing children's work or uh, such things? How can we ask people to work towards a tactical goal they didn't decide for themselves? I mean, these people have been living in Jerusalem with the walls broken down since they were born. They'd been broken down for 142 years. People don't live longer than that. So they'd been living with the walls broken down all that time. And yet he's going to come along and say, okay, we're going to rebuild the walls. How can we ask people to give up their lives for a cause? How can we say to a professional cyclist, please do this in the race, which means you won't win? How can we ask such a thing? How can we ask people to give up other opportunities to commit to the task we are proposing? Because there are opportunity costs, aren't they? If people do one thing, that means they do not have time for other things. If we ask people to go and volunteer and serve at New Day Camp, which people have done in the last week, they've had time off work to serve at the camp, that means they don't have those days of leave to take a holiday or something like that. They have instead gone and worked hard at the camp. And it is hard work. So we, how do we ask that? How do we ask people to take their children with them to serve in a difficult situation um, you know, like Jonathan and Wendy going off to Senegal, wasn't it? And taking their children there. And you think, surely if you, you'd say, oh, God wants good things for my children, I should keep them in Britain and find where I can send them to the best school and things. And those are not bad things to do. But actually sometimes God calls people to take their children and to raise them in a place where they, you could say they are disadvantaged. How can we ever ask? How could God ask? How can we ask others? Um, how can we ask people to stop following Allah or Richard Dawkins or Vishnu or whatever other gods they follow to follow Jesus? How can we ask for these things? How can we ask people not to have sex unless they are married? That's what the Bible does. That's what God does. How can we ask people not to have sex unless they're married? Which could mean if they don't marry, they'll never have sex. The world tells you that's, a, that's disastrous. That's the most awful thing that could happen to a person. But the Bible says that isn't the most awful thing that could happen to a person. How can we ask people to give large amounts of money to kingdom work? It, right? it takes courage to make requests, but kingdom work advances through people who make such requests of one another. And so you might say, well, you know, that's... People you obviously have to be really arrogant to do that kind of thing. No, they have to be called. Nehemiah was called. He had this sense that God wanted him to be involved in rebuilding Jerusalem, that that was what 
God wanted and it's God's agenda then, then starts to take priority in our lives. And God can be the only ground of such requests because we believe that he created all things, he's all wise, he's good, he's loving, that he's at work in our world, he's governing and inspiring each one of us in different ways. And, uh, and so we see that he has the authority to command us. And yet we also see in the scripture that mostly he doesn't just command, he gives us reasons to follow him. Have you noticed that? So in the Ten Commandments, he says, you shall not commit adultery. But then when you get to the book of Proverbs, we have a father speaking to a son saying, look, son, don't go and commit adultery. Here's what happens when you do. And he sets out all the disasters and the miseries that result when people commit adultery. And so he wins us. He persuades us. And so he lovingly calls us. Our father calls us. He says, why will you die? And and you think, why would God need to say that? He just needs to say, come here, da-da-da-da. And yet the scripture is not just uh, naked commands, if you like. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The scripture is filled with inducements in which God reminds us of his love for us. Why would he bother doing that if our relationship with him was merely jump and you jump? It's not just jump and you jump. He shows his love to us because he wants us to love him in return, as we saw in the song. And... And he wants us, because faith then comes to the conviction that my, that my happiness and my holiness are the same thing. That to be happy is to be holy. That to obey, it's not a choice I can either be happy or I can follow Jesus. Right? That, that's, that is what unbelief says. Unbelief says you can either be happy or you can follow Jesus. But faith says this, that if I follow Jesus, that is the happiest possible path I could take. Right? And, and that, is the, that is the revelation of faith. And so, as um, I think this is on the PowerPoint, Elspeth, if you can bring that up. It's a quote from a guy called Randy Alcorn, a bit of an unfortunate first name. He's American, of course. And um, he says, the beauty is that there's an ultimate harmony in the moral universe. What is in God's best interest is also in others' best interests and in my best interests as well. Not necessarily immediately, but always, ultimately. What is good is not good for God, but bad for me, or bad for my neighbor, but good for me. What is good is good for all. Every time I obey God, I'm doing what is ultimately best for all. Every time I disobey him, I am doing what is ultimately worst for all. This is a profound, but a profoundly true thing. So when we make requests, which may seem, oh, you couldn't possibly ask that. Yes, we can, because God knows best, because our loving, wise, heavenly Father knows what is best for humankind. And we should be assured that that statement is summarizing that which is really true. But you might say, yes, but wait a minute, human beings are pretty flawed, so human leaders are flawed. That is true. We need to be careful. Some human beings kind of think they've got divine right and they can tell people and be, play, play, play fast and loose with other people's lives and, and well-being. That is not good leadership. Right? And similarly, though, it is also not good leadership when we abandon making requests and appeals of people. That's an abdication of leadership. And both those failures lead to fear. So we do not want those things to be true of our uh, uh, leadership at all.
So we, uh, and I guess that's why I think it's so good that in Scripture we usually see leadership coming by way of requests. It's not commands. He says, come, you've seen the state of the walls. Well, let's rebuild them. It's an invitation, isn't it? It's not a command. Nehemiah comes with a request. And when he speaks to the, the emperor, he doesn't say, well, God's told me and you've got to give me wood and do. No, he says, oh, may the, may the king live forever. He's extremely courteous and I'm sure thinking of his own uh, kind of safety as well. And it's, and it's wise, isn't it? He's very assuring. Look, I'm not, I'm not looking sad because I've got it in for you. I haven't got a knife tucked up here, you know, or a, a gun, you know, gaffer taped to my back like they do in those crime shows where they come out as if they've got no weapon and suddenly they snatch their gun from the back. Right, he's, 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 he's showing I, I'm genuine. I, I want the king to live forever. I'm not against you, O emperor. Uh, but, I, uh, but I'm sad because the city, and he explains, doesn't he? And then he makes a very courteous re- request. Uh, and this is how we are to engage in leadership. We make courteous requests. We, are, we, we invite one another. We, we, we invite one another to, to we make a, the request is huge, but it's expressed politely. Yeah? And uh, I think this safeguards it from becoming a, a, a false way of, of, of bringing Leadership. You see, kingdom mission is not a dominion thing. It's a compassion thing. Right? It's not a dominion thing. It's a compassion thing. And in, starting this autumn, we're going to engage with some coaching material month by month from, from a guy called Alan Scott. He leads the Vineyard Church in Coleraine up in Northern Ireland. It's called the Causeway Coast Vineyard. It's where the Healing on the Streets ministry started. And they've seen so many wonderful healings there. He was actually a speaker at the Catalyst Festival this year, and I really recommend his talks very, very much. But we will get opportunity to hear more of him through this autumn and into next year as we engage with this material from Coleraine. And it, this was one of his lines, you know, that, that the kingdom of God, our engagement in the kingdom is not a dominion thing. It's a compassion thing. And he, uh, the way they've engaged with their community in Coleraine, it's going to be a very, very interesting example for us. So being agents of God's kingdom is not saying we're superior, we have all the answers, and we've come to do the kingdom to you. It's, it's that we, we've, we've found something, and we want to, we want to share God's goodness with uh, other people. And in doing that, we can make some pretty big requests of them. One of the things the Holy Spirit's doing, I think, is trying to help the church to be more humble um, and to let us know that Jesus' kingdom is much larger than my church or even all churches. And that we're not trying to be the best church, but we're trying to be a great church for our community. Yeah, We're not trying to be the best church or the biggest church, but we're trying to be a fantastic church for the community, connecting heaven to earth and connecting people with God's love and his healing and his compassion and his call on their life. And so that will be... I believe engaging with Alan Scott's material will be really helpful. So um, there's, uh, uh, let's jump ahead then. Uh, those, uh, I want to think about, you know, who can make these kind of requests. I think we need to know that the gracious hand of our God is, up, is upon us. And, it, 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 you know, I guess Nehemiah could have been confused. He might have mistaken this thing. But he'd felt the Holy Spirit really inspire him. You know, you've got something to do. He says somewhere in chapter 2 that God had put something on his heart about Jerusalem, about rebuilding. And he then found, when he asked the king, suddenly that the king says yes, and all these things are given. And when that happens, you start to think, wow, 
God's on this. And it's nothing to do with you. You can't say, oh, yes, I was strong enough. I was smart enough. I was charming enough. It's not that. You realize there's a sort of holy awe. God is in this. God is in this. And that actually releases that capacity then to be able to go to Jerusalem and say, okay, guys, you've seen the situation of the walls. Come on, let's rebuild them. And, and it releases it. And, and the same thing happened, I guess, when Sam Stapley came with a proposal about the food bank. And there was all the facts about the needs for food bank, the needs in this particular area, and stuff like that. And the Trussell Trust and the way they'd done food banks in other towns and the example and what they'd found. And you just thought, wow, this is a great report. Because you notice he was ready, Nehemiah, with the emperor. He didn't just say, oh, I've got a feeling. I was praying and I had a feeling. No, he's got some facts. These walls are broken down. We would need timber. It's all very it's practical. It's, a, it's, a, it's solidly based. You know, it's researched. It's investigated. It's, it's been inspired by something rather touchy-feely, but it's been grounded in, through his praying into something very concrete. And this is also what doing good in the world involves. It isn't just... Oh, you know, an airy-fairy thing. It, it gets grounded into some practical action. And so he sees that his, God's hand is on him. Now, let me just give a warning here. The, that Satan can also arrange wonderful uh, kind of coincidences of events. I mean, I've had several occasions where people have told me about their adultery, about how amazing it was that they were drawn together with this other person and how they met in London and it was so amazing, as if it was the Holy Spirit. And I'd say, no, that wasn't the Holy Spirit, that was Satan. Do you you understand? If If something's leading you into that which the Scripture forbids, it's not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading you. Right? That, that's Satan. So we must bring some discernment to these events that sometimes happen. So some, just closing off with some practical do's and don'ts about asking. So do look for God's gracious hand upon you. Right? Do look for it. Look for those times when if God's given you a calling into something, look for his hand. Because sometimes people can have a calling and it's some years before God releases it. Remember, Moses had a sense he should lead the people of God, and he tried to make it happen with his own force of physical violence. But actually, it was the wrong time. And it was many years, it was 40 years later, that they saw the burning bush and God saying, okay, now's the time. And at that point, he'd lost his natural confidence that he was even called. But God was saying, no, now is the time. So we need to look for the Holy Spirit's moment when that, that something might have been birthed long before, and it comes to fruition at a certain time and I love the way Nehemiah tells people at the end of verse 20 the God of heaven will give us success he says but then he goes on and we his servants will start rebuilding he's quite modest in what he says we can do he says God will give us success but what we will do is we will start rebuilding I know what we can do to start. I don't know how I will finish, but I know what we can start to do. We can start with this. Isn't that wonderful? Something God gives you to start. You know, you, the, 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 the parenting courses and things, you started and doors have opened, haven't they? And you've got favor with the local authority, with other things, Helen. And so the thing has just opened up. The gracious hand of your God is upon you. So that, so that secular authorities even are paying and financing and sending people along to have a, a Christian course about parenting. 
That's God, isn't it? And that's doing kingdom work. And there's countless other examples around the room at, at, that are more or less kind of definable. This is how it works. And then I think we can test, do, we, can, we make requests almost as a test of whether God's gracious hand is with us. You kind of test by asking the emperor, he was testing, is, is this God's time now? And, and when the door opened, then he kept running with it. So do look for God's gracious hand. Do make requests to test whether God's gracious hand. Thirdly, do make yourself an expert on the challenge being faced so that your proposal doesn't come in kind of ignorance and foolishness. I kind of already covered this, didn't I, when I was mentioning about Sam. And then fourthly, let's be gracious in our attitude to others. You know, Nehemiah doesn't say to all these Jews, how come you've been here 142 years and haven't built this wall yet? He doesn't come with complaint and criticism. There's not a word of that. He knows, no, it doesn't really matter what's happened to now. I know God has called me to do this. And so he starts from where he is. There's no big witch hunt about the past. There's no condemning of people. This is, this is gracious leadership. If, if God has graciously called me, I can't gracious, ungraciously judge those other people. You, yeah? This is now the time for this. And so we're gracious to others, we don't belittle others. Uh, that has no serves no purpose at all, um, and um, so we are. Um, I, I love this Mother Teresa thing. I think I might have quoted it last week, which is also on the PowerPoint, Elspeth. It's a couple of slides, but she says this: "People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway." Right? God's been gracious to you. you we, we have to be gracious. To others, if you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. That's exactly what happens to Nehemiah. You can, we can see that as the story develops. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Well, be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. You know, that's a hugely permission-giving statement, actually. Because some of us feel we're in relationships where other people are, want to actually imprison us in misery and they, and they, are get, uh, they get annoyed when we're happy. Right? You can be in relationships like that. If they're controlling relationships. I want to tell you, be happy anyway. And then the next slide. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Nehemiah actually happened to get what he did put in the Bible, but there are countless things that have been done by saints of following Jesus down the ages that are not recorded, but they will be remembered. They will be remembered when we come and appear before the judgment seat of God. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. Right? The need seems so huge. Well, you may not be able to change the world it's very hard for one person to change the world, but you can change the world for one person. And for you see, in the end, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. It's just such profound wisdom. Okay, so that, that was my fourth do, right? Be gracious. The thing is, don't belittle your request. Sometimes when we're making requests as people, we want to say, oh, I was wondering whether you might like to come and serve in the children's work. You know, it would only be like once every month and um and it hardly takes any preparation and um and we tr- and we just we try and make it smaller and smaller and smaller do you know that's a mistake don't make it smaller and smaller tell people how important it is because it is important right why are we doing this we, we because we want we treasure children and we see they're so important and, and just to say just loving this whole spirit of the guys who do 
our Sunday children work. Really credit to you because it is incredibly important work because we want to be bringing to our dear children, showing them love and bringing them the lovely invitation of Christ to life. And it made me think of Winston Churchill and those speeches he made in the Second World War. Do you remember? You, you know, I, his first speech to the House of Commons after he was made Prime Minister, he says, I have nothing to offer but blood, toils, tears and sweat. Sometimes we need to actually tell people, look, this is going to be a bit tough. This is what you're going to face. These are the challenges. And we need to be, so that was, I could enlarge, there was a, the speech is well worth a read. You can just Google it and, and, and read it. Uh, next thing, don't say people's no for them. It's so easy when you're making a request of people to kind of set them up to say no. You're kind of almost giving them permission. Look, I know you're very busy, and this is quite a big thing I'm asking, and I want you to feel completely free uh, to turn me down, I, and, uh, and it won't bother me at all. And that isn't how Nehemiah asked these questions, is it? Uh, he, was, he was direct and plain, and we need to learn to do that, actually, to be direct and plain because I want us to excel to be to be a church which is connecting heaven to earth father wants us to grow in this capacity to make big requests oh I'd got onto my don'ts hadn't I yes don't belittle your request don't say no for to for people don't say people's no for them um uh, don't make other people feel guilty just because they don't share your passion or vision. People carry different things. They might still participate in this action or uh, activity, but they don't necessarily sh- carry it with the same value that you do. And that's fine. People are different. People do what they value and they value what they do. So recognize that and work with people uh, uh, with, their, with their stuff. Don't, let's not mock and ridicule those who say no. People are actually allowed to say no. True liberty means people are allowed to say no. So give them that liberty, but you don't need to explain it to them every time. So, um, um, and uh, let's not be put off. Don't be put off by mockery and ridicule. There will be those who will mock and ridicule. It is inevitable. I don't think there's anything done in life which isn't mocked or ridiculed by somebody else. And therefore, we might as well measure it up. No doubt that's what Nehemiah did in the four months when he was praying. Okay, what am I going to do with the mockery, with the ridicule? Because we will face it, therefore we should reckon with it. And lastly, don't be a scrounger. We're supposed to be people who make requests, but there are people who can just be scroungers. I've been puzzling in my head, what's the difference between the great person making requests, and the scrounger. And I'm struggling slightly to tell the difference, but one thing would seem to be that mostly those who are making requests are making requests for God's agenda, right? For, for for, For that which is for God's kingdom. It doesn't mean you can't make requests for your own needs, but if that's what really all or most of your requests are, then just go to the Holy Spirit and ask him if you're a scrounger, because... um, you know, we're all dependent people, but we're also told to, to work, right? to, to, to contribute. So in closing, I just want to ask and remind you, have you responded to God's request? Because he's come to you and said, everyone who believes in me will receive forgiveness of sins. That's a wonderful invitation, isn't it? He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you responded to that? He... Um, uh, has said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
There are numerous invitations in Scripture, gracious offers in which the Savior reaches out to each one of you. And you know every day you should be thinking of one of those invitations and responding to it. We should preach the gospel to ourselves every day because the gospel is an offer. It is an invitation. And yes, there is this element, we could say, there's a command to it, to follow Christ. Yes, there is a command, but it's kind of couched so gently and wonderfully. But I want you to know that one day our God will cease holding back because he doesn't coerce us to follow him at this time. But one day he's going to bring this time of gospel to an end. And he's saying, okay, at this point I'm drawing the line. And if you have not turned to me now, I'm going to judge. I'm bringing my judgment. So a time is coming. So take the opportunity now. Now is the time of opportunity to respond to his invitation to follow him. Because if you won't respond to the invitation, then one day when you are, he's saying, look, come, come and do my will. And when you're saying, no, I won't do your will, one day he's going to say, okay, well, your will be done. If you won't say to God now, your will be done, one day he'll say to you, okay, your will be done. Be excluded from my presence forever. That's a heavy, heavy thing. Would you like to stand? Maybe Andy can come up again. To think about, is there a a request that you should be making, actually? Is there a, a request you should be making of yourself, an appeal, an invitation you should be giving to yourself about something? Is there a request or appeal that you actually need to bring to somebody else? Where's your courage in this? Just, just come to God because he wants to give us courage, actually, right now. He wants to give us kingdom courage. Make us brave. He wants to remind you that this is no small thing that you are, you, you've been drawn into. The church is the joy of the whole earth. God's kingdom is... It's not just a nice optional extra. It is really life and death. Now, don't get heavy with people, but let's make those requests. Let's make those invitations. Countless things. This is something you're doing anyway. Just let it be stirred up in you. All the people I've met who said, oh, I got those, those books about the queen and her faith, and I've given away this many. And you say, yeah, that's, that's the way it works. Those different, those different activities. Let's be blessed. Let that courage come to you. Right now, receive fresh courage. Fresh boldness. Yeah. Thank you, Lord.